holidays. It's the Thursday after Christmas, December 26th, 2013. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on the lost and forgotten magical fantasy novel by the infamous science fiction hoaxer Richard S. Shaver. Actually, Shaver's editor, Ray Palmer, was the hoaxer. Shaver believed he was writing the truth about the survivors of ancient extraterrestrials still living in caverns below us and plaguing service people with their mind-control ray machines. This dubious expose was called the Shaver Mystery, back in the 1940s, it dominated the pages of Amazing Stories, America's most popular science fiction magazine in those days. Shaver's weird tales of the subterranean Daryl world are enjoying a modest revival in reprinted editions. Now, we were among the first 21st century Shaver revivalists, with our 2007 film, Beyond Lemuria. In our new version of the Shaver Mystery, we place the cavern world of the Darrows in another dimension, a parallel world, very close to our own. However, Shaver himself always insisted that his underground Darrows were in this physical dimension whereas his editor, Palmer, insisted that they were disembodied spirits. Now, extensive research into Shaver's writings, his fiction, fantasy, essays, and letters brings out another possibility. Shaver may have privately believed in the parallel world explanation. His essay, Fiction, Fact, Theory, Science, in Hidden World, number five, reveals that he believed the fantasies of Abraham Merritt and James Branch Cabell to be true stories. We know that he was strongly influenced by both these writers and that he could actually channel their writing styles, a phenomenon that Palmer observed firsthand. Shaver was an empathetic receiver, a true mystic, he revealed what might be the real secret of his cavern world in a marvelously crafted fantasy novel that never has had a title of its own. It appeared in three separate issues of Amazing Stories and Fantastic Adventures from 1947 through 1949. The first part was The Tale of the Red Dwarf, and next came The Daughter of the Night, followed uh, in 1949 by the uh, final chapter called Ertis Cliff. Now, the style is Merritt and Cabell combined, but the magical concept of the endlessly layered nows of the simultane derives from H.G. Wells' Men Like Gods, and Shaver goes much further with it than Wells went. In fact, I believe he coined the term simultane. In this, he preceded Michael Moorcock's fictional multiverse and even M-theory and the M-theory of quantum physics by decades. So, if you want to discover a new dimension, as we said, tune in and we'll slide down the wormhole. 
Now, this is going to be a very interesting discussion tonight because we're going to start off with Shaver and give a, a very good um, rundown on his simultane concept. And then we're going to have um, three other magical adepts. They're going to be, um, well, I was going to say we have three magical adepts because if I say other magical adepts, that implies that I'm a magical adept, and I don't want to imply that. I want you just assume that if you want to. So we have three magical adepts who are going to call in, and, and we'll discuss the, this, the other dimensions in magic. And we'll base... And not not just based on the shaver, but but the whole concept of parallel worlds and other dimensions uh, in 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 the practice and the practical aspect of magic. So, uh, but first, let's uh, let's outline uh, where Mr. Shaver is on this. And um, what I want to point out to begin with is that the key to this, the key to this revelation of Shaver's uh, parallel world idea is the Hidden World Journal, uh, Spring 1962, issue number A5. Now, these are all reprinted. Uh, Tim Beckley has reprinted uh, the, the whole Hidden World um, series, which which, rep- which reprised the Shaver mystery and attempted to explain it uh, in the 1960s. And, of course, the Shaver mystery itself ran in, in Amazing and Fantastic in uh, from 1945 through about 1950. Uh, and, and so then in the 1960s, uh, Palmer started this uh, small press. It's a small press journal, but it was well done. Uh, the Hidden World. And he he reprinted almost all of the Shaver material. Plus, he gave Shaver a, a chance to, to write articles, and then he himself uh, tried to explain this whole thing. Now, these Hidden World uh, journals have all been, well, most of them, all the way up through 13, I think, have been reproduced uh, by Tim Beckley on uh, Global Communications, and they are available on Amazon. And... Um, in fact, I I had uh, Hidden World number three uh, has Shaver's very controversial novel Mandark, and I wrote the introduction to that one. So, so I'm kind of in a sense I'm kind of playing one of my own things here. Um, but this particular Hidden World issue here, issue number A five, spring 1962. This is the one where where Palmer and Shaver both come up with what's really behind the Shaver mystery. Shaver insisted all the way along that the caves were really down there in the narrow. They had all this ancient uh, machinery left over from Atlantis and Lemuria, and they were down there, uh, these evil, uh, twisted, uh, darrow creatures like evil imps running these fantastic machines and and causing us all kinds of problems on the surface with, with their diabolical mind control and all of this kind of stuff. Well, Shaver, now, you may think, you may think as a result of all this that Shaver was, uh, was uh, Looney Tunes, and you're right, he was. Uh, but that doesn't mean he wasn't a genius, and it doesn't mean he wasn't a, a very, very good writer. And, and, uh, and it also does not mean that he didn't have glimpses and and visions into something that has a level of reality. Not not in our dimension. That's obvious. 
that that's that's really obvious. But Shaver continued to insist that it did that it did have that, that if we dug deep enough, we'd find these these uh, this this tavern network, and we'd find these these uh, demented characters, and we'd find find them persecuting a few a few sane uh, people down there trying to get away from them. And in other words, it, it, what he was what he was imagining was literally a medieval hell, a modern super modern scientific medieval hell, but basically it was a medieval hell. And and uh, he insisted that it was physically real in our dimension. Palmer really didn't give him much of an alternative. The parallel world theory at that time was a literary device. It was used in science fiction, as I said. Uh, it was used in H.G. Wells' uh, Men Like Gods. And uh, Wells described the different uh, layers like pages in a book, the different layers of, of uh, time and space. And from that very, very meager literary convenience definition that Wells used, Shaver developed something that was very sophisticated and, and uh, very, um, which we'll get into in a little bit, uh, uh, very possible, actually a possible explanation for other dimensions. Now, as I say, that because now we realize as uh, a result of the uh, theories of quantum physics and uh, and the, the new um, theories of the universe that, yes, we could very well have parallel worlds. They actually could exist. And if they do, and if, they, if this would explain a lot of very strange phenomena, some of which we'll discuss tonight, some of which I've experienced, and and uh, magicians uh, will be will be talking with tonight with with people who women who have experienced some of this, and and, and uh, magic, of course, can can bridge, magic can open gateways into these other dimensions. So, um, what I'd like to do is take a look right quick in um, in Hidden World A five. And Palmer says, after he says that in his editorial, he, he says, definitely Shaver admitted to him that he'd never been in the caves. Palmer says that. And okay, and Palmer then says, you must be asking if Shaver was not in any caves and yet had his experiences exactly as described, where did he have them? The answer to this question is, and always has been, in Shaver's own accounts, in his fiction, fictions in quote, in his fiction stories. All through them are indications of the truth, a truth that Shaver himself knew, perhaps only subconsciously in part, but nonetheless he knew it. And in this issue, we reprint Shaver's fictional story, The Mind Rovers, which we strongly suspect Shaver wrote in an attempt to give the reader a clue as to where his caves were. Now, The Mind Rovers, is a story that's kind of inspired by Jack London's Star Rover, in which these poor guys in San Quentin were put in straight jackets for long periods of time, and they asked were projected out to uh, different periods in time and, and all. The only way they could keep from going totally insane was to ask for project, and they, what they call beating the jacket. And inspired by this uh, story, uh, uh, Shaver came up with a story called The Mind Rovers, and this takes place in a prison, and Shaver had been had 
spent eight years in, a, in a, uh, an asylum for the criminally insane. He was the criminal, but, I mean, he ended up in there anyway. And, and so he was very much, uh, very much... Uh, uh, in tune with with the environment that this story uh, exploits. But anyway, uh, these uh, fellows in this particular prison in the Mine Rovers, um, their warden is particularly sadistic and corrupt. And so they miniaturize themselves, uh, magically miniaturize themselves to where they're very, very tiny. And then they have a little kind of a tiny little flying machine and all this is very natural. <laughs> and and they, they they fly into the warden's brain. They get inside the warden's brain, and the warden's brain is, is like a is like a kingdom. In, it's just like a dark kingdom inside. They, they uh, Shaver kind of kind of anthropomorphizes the warden's brain, and they gives it all sorts of um, you know uh, characteristics, like it's some kind of a strange kingdom. Uh, and in the center of it is the warden's ego. Now, this I got to tell you: the warden is an ex-Nazi anyway, and, and so he has a very, very nasty ego. And this ego is a big sort of thrashing monster in the center of this whole thing. And they subdue the the Nazi warden's ego, you know. There, um, and this is so. What Palmer is driving at when he says that he Shaver's given us a clue to this, Shaver's not really trying to tell us that his caves are in our brains, but what he is trying to tell us is, is that our minds are the way into this world. This is, this is the message here in the Mind Rovers. However, let's go in the same magazine, hey, fine, I have the same journal, let's go over to page 884, and let's, magazine isn't that long, it's just that there is a sequence, the journals are on page sequences. Um, and Shaver has an article, Fiction Fact Theory Science. And he starts off this way. A point which I suspect few SF writers or fans ever fully realize is this. A certain percentage of science fiction stories are true stories, fact accounts, which are so amazing, so tremendously unbelievable, that they can only be printed as fiction since no editor would even look at them under any other heading. Abraham Merritt was one of these writers who knew amazing things and got the accounts published under the guise of fiction. James Branch Cabell's Felix Keniston is another of these personal experience accounts which is passed off as fantasy. But it is not fantasy to anyone who has the key. That key, similar experiences in their own life, is possessed by the audience to whom such men as Cabell and Merritt really address their work, somewhat in the spirit in which bottles containing manuscripts are cast upon the sea. Now, there's a world of, of, of secret instruction in that, in that, because Abraham Merritt, one of the greatest fantasy writers America has ever produced, Beautiful, beautiful uh, stories. He did the Ship of Ishtar, and he did the Moon Pool, which, of course, 
we we um, we went out to Non Madol and we showed uh, scenes of Non Madol and showed uh, exclusive footage of the underwater ruins out in the Pacific. That's that's all from Merritt's Moon Pool. But we actually went out there for Beyond the Myriad and, and, and showed this. That under the under under Non Madol, under that ruined city in the Carolinian Islands in the middle of the Pacific, according to Merritt, was this huge undersea cavern which was the last remnants of Lemuria, and they were highly scientific, and they were, uh, they also had, uh, some of them were very, very evil. And since that time, other uh, writers and mystics have assumed that there is a connection, direct connection between Nanmadol, those caverns underneath Nanmadol, and Mount Shasta. So, that uh, that connection has been made by my various writers. Now, uh, I might also mention that some of you magic buffs that this is also covered uh, to a lesser degree in in uh, Kenneth Grant's final book, The uh, Ninth Arch. Uh, now, James Branch Campbell, on the other hand, was we can't we can't just call him a, a great fantasy writer. James Branch Campbell was one of the finest literary authors that this country ever produced. His work is literature. Now, he wrote in the, in the uh, he wrote fantasy, but he wrote fantasy of such depth and such beauty and such meaning and such, and such consummate erudition that he is, James Branch Campbell is considered literature. Now, James Branch Campbell's Felix Keniston, that particular story, and this is very important to understand this, Felix Tennyson, that story is where is about a um, not too successful uh, Virginia uh, gentleman who writes these um, romances, and his wife he doesn't get along with his wife very well. In fact, they they just hardly speak to each other, and he is miserable in his living existence. But he lives in his in his stories and in in, in what he writes. And and he he dreams a lot of what he writes, and he finds uh, that's just the story that Shaver's talking about now. Keniston finds this talisman in his garden one day, and this is a little broken piece of metal that has this strange inscription on it, and and this talisman transports him. To his dream world, to his this this fantasy kingdom of mythical southern France and King Arthur's time and something like that, and and that this talisman is the, the key to getting him there. Well, now this story is called the Cream of the Chest. Now the reason why it's called the Cream of the Chest is, is because this talisman finally turns out to me after all these marvelous adventures, Kiniston finally has to realize that this talisman is really part of the lid off of a, a bottle of his wife's beauty cream. In other words, Cavill, for all of his erudition and all of his attention to detail and all of his wonderful storytelling and all of this, is pulling our leg. He's saying, oh, come on now. All this this magical talisman really turns out to be just just a, a part of the lid of his wife. So Shaver, Shaver must have must have believed in 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 Campbell's being able 
to reach this other dimension, this other dimension with with a, with a with a magical device that wasn't even a magical device, and yet he firmly believed it. Firmly, well, because if you when you read, if you read Cream of the Just, and I I think it's delightful, you know, it's beautiful. Uh, let me interject though that uh, the first James Branch Campbell novel that you folks should read is Jurgen. J-U-R-G-E-N, Jurgen. That's his, That's the classic. That's a, that is Cavill's most magical novel. Um, it even has the Gnostic Mass in it in one chapter. Uh, it's Jurgen is one that every every magician, every occultist, and and every um, uh, romantic fantasy buff should should read Jurgen. But after that, read the Cream of the Jest. You'll, you'll enjoy it. The reason why Shaver really believed that Keniston. Keniston's story was true is because of all of the detail that Cabell put into it. Cabell was a great world creator and a great, he had lineages, he had, he worked out, he worked out his Patsumé uh, province in southern France, he worked this thing out to the point where uh, the way Tolkien, the way Tolkien worked out Middle Earth, I mean, he really, really did it. And, you know, there are a lot of people that believe that Man, shit, shit are people that believe that Middle Earth uh, talked in is really true, you know, it's really there, and maybe it is, maybe it is. I, I you know, it may very well be. Now, um, let's get let's let's get to the simultane here. Have we got anybody on yet? Anybody on? Nobody. Okay, let me get to the um, let me get to the to the uh, description of Shaver's simultane, so you really. Uh, you get the, the meat of what he is uh, coming up with. This is in Erdos Cliff, and this is the this is the um, third part of of the the Red Dwarf stories. Let me mention too, if you look up the Red Dwarf on Amazon, you're going to run into a science fiction uh, uh, video, um, a science fiction television series called the Red. Red Dwarf, and that has nothing whatsoever to do with Shaver's Red Dwarf, so don't, don't get confused. The only way you can find the Red Dwarf stories are, are to, as far as I know, they're not even in, in Hidden World. They may be in the later issues. Um, now, this is from Rudis Cliff. Of course, Lua, it is not as you think, but it's bad enough. I have no other way to get him back, else I should make I should make such demands of you never. But for him, I must do this, uh, and, and to the two of you. There. It can be years. Now, what, do you, what, what uh, the witch here, uh, Peroni, is doing is she's sending these two, these two lovers back to get her lover out of, the, out of somewhere in the simultane. And she is um, and she's going to send them through. And uh, so she says... Um, there it can be years, and here but minutes to you. There it can be minutes, and here long lifetimes. Which hope is what keeps me waiting and alive, and the way open for him, I do not know. Days passed, and Egan wore down, wore now a permanent look of fixed astonishment. For all the world he knew had turned into insubstantial veils of gauze beside the realities he saw daily. And this day they were ready, and Feronius showed them the door that was not a door, but a flickering 
dread, nonetheless, what that, that went in and in forever into the rock or into space or where no one could not see for the blue flames that licked always upward and across that tube of force. And hand in hand, they too walked into the tube and along it, and uh, the flames burned at them and the vibrant forces of it stung their feet. But something else from behind them accelerated and protected them, and they walked on courageous and with high heads. And now through the walls they saw the naked anatomy of the simultane. And about it, the immaterial, tenuous, whirling, lacy curtains of repeated nows, thin, separated by only time as the leaves of a book unleafed in the wind. On one of those painted windows that are worlds like our own but different is where our quarry is trapped, though his voice was strong in Egan's ear, strong and brave. Yet it wavered as if from the very awe of the terrible repeated variance of the of the simultane which mortal eyes never see. What would happen to us if that dark, lovely witch Avert us, shut off the great machine that throws this flow of energy upon which we walk. Egan asked, staring hard at Lewis' face, transparent now as tinted glass, a tall ghost of a life wavering beside him as a thin wine glass shivers from repeated ringing blows. We would blink out like two lights the wind blew upon, and this fearful tube of force with us, of course. Lua did not look at Egan, but her eyes searched always the fearful complexities of the repeated planes of immaterial reality separated by the dark nothings that she felt were just as much as something, but something beyond her eyes searching or her mind's grasp. We must travel to the end of this, no matter what may happen to stop us, for that is how this Druga of hers planned it. And then he was to return without delay, but he did not return. And neither were we without him. But I could not bear but I could not bear her face to come back without her little son. And Egan fell to watching the endless shadow play of life and the cities and the works and the movements of the worlds that their strange, vibrant walkway seemed to drive through as a split through a fowl and as a sword drives through the pages of a picture book. And each page was a world without end to his eyes stretching beyond sight, tall towers square and endlessly windowed, where little ships flew through the air and big ships plowed the oceans, and men lived and died, and there, there on that immaterial transparency that was to him but a tinted glass or a film clip of soap bubbles, and a child peering into the clustering walls of the bubbles, and they passed on through the walls of this world of speeding planes and smoking ships and clanking machines and another world and another and many another still and each different and varied 
yet monotonously the same in a weird repetition of shape and size and movement and meaning to his eyes. And far up they could feel Veronia manipulating the terrible power that upheld them, and the tubes about them seemed to lower, and their stomachs felt the rush downwards. The time she set foot, the time she set for us has passed, and she is trying to set us exactly down where she sat her man down and left him there, and she has done exactly as she remembered it. And if she's right in her work, and we find some trace of him, and if not, why, we had better. We just better stay where chance leaves us. We can try and try again. Even if we return to the tube of force, she will know and will repeat the calculations differently. And now it seemed that the tube lay open before them, and they walked out on the plane of the simultane, as Egan thought, but immediately they stepped upon that bare and awful rock of the, over, of the ever-existent. It changed, and there was grass over the soft earth, springing under their feet, and the frightening transparency of the inconsequential reality had gone, and the simultane had gone from their eyes, hidden by the now reality of the world they had set foot upon. Okay, that'll give you an idea of um, of the way the simultane is visualized and works. Now, this was written in, really, in 1948. And since then, that same type of, of uh, concept has, uh, in another 15 years, Lots of people um, were using this in, in, um, in science fiction stories and in, and in uh, films, and, and you, we've, we've all seen this. And, of course, we used it in, in, uh, with our intergravitron in, uh, in uh, Beyond Lemuria. And this is what this is really what Shaver actually believed. I mean, this is this is what he believed. But you have to understand that at the time, at the time he was writing this, this was not considered. This was not considered really in in any way possible. This was just a literary device, a very very handy literary device. But it was a literary device, uh, and so therefore, uh, Shaver clung to the uh, the, the the public. Publicly, at the part, and, and and he insisted that these that this world, the subterranean world that he was uh, in contact with, was physically real in this dimension. Now, Palmer, and this is another thing we find out, um, find it out in, in in the hidden world, but also too, you, uh, it's confirmed in uh, Richard Toronto. By the way, is the I think the the top. Shaver collector and Shaver authority uh, in the world, and uh, he has a website called Shavertron, and, and uh, I strongly recommend that. If you want to dig through the archives, you'll find an interview uh, between Richard and myself in there. Um, but uh, Richard Toronto has recently come out with the definitive book on Shaver and Palmer. Now, I'm not saying it's a definitive book on the mystery, but it's a definitive book on Shaver and Palmer uh, from a, a, a scholarly and a, and a, um, and a uh, let's say, a literary point of view. 
it's a biography of both men, and you and you have to do the biography of both men together because they're so, they're, 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 their whole situation, uh, it, it involves both of them so much. Both of them have. This is called War Over Lemuria. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, I just read it, and it's excellent, and I'm going to put a good review on there on it. But it's uh, it's uh, war uh, war over Lemuria, and and it's, it's Richard Toronto, and what he says in there is that that uh, he confirms that Palmer's idea of the astral plane that he kept trying to convince Shaver of was not the astral plane of Hermetic occultism, he probably could have talked Shaver into that. He probably could have. But instead of that, Palmer, who, Palmer was hipped on this Owasfi book. And this Owasfi is a sort of an earlier uh, a 19th century Eurasia. Owasfi was, was a channeled work by, by uh, someone who was uh, steeped in, in biblical lore and wrote his own spiritualist Bible, basically. And Palmer tried to convince Shaver that his Daros and his Taros and Daros and his under his underground world was really not underground at all. It was up in the upper atmosphere and the stratosphere, and it was the world of the disembodied spirits of the dead, according to philosophy. Well, Shaver wasn't about to buy that, and he and he... He just, and I don't blame him. I, you know, if I were, if I were a crazy genius like Shaver, I wouldn't buy it either. I mean, this, but I thought I, I, you know, I assumed for years that Palmer was a serious, you know, was a, a cultist in the in the Western tradition, and and Theosophy actually has an astral plane that does involve the underground like that, and that would have worked. Uh, and but that's not what Palmer tried to tried to c- convince Shaver of. Uh, so consequently, Shaver, in defense, he he kept his parallel worlds idea to himself, and he was ahead of everybody else in, in actually reifying this thing. But he knew that at his time, parallel worlds were a literary device, and he and, and they weren't going to suffice. So he kept it to himself, and he insisted they were real. And yet Palmer tried to foist this this spiritualism thing on Shaver, and I don't blame Shaver for rejecting it. So the point of all of this is that Shaver's uh, stories, from this point of view, should we should take another look at Shaver. We should we should realize that Shaver was you know in, he was kind of caught in this in this trap. Sure, he was crazy, but he was he was he was picking up on something because this underworld of his and Shaver was a very very well read in mythology and in, and in anthropology and mythology. He really it was very very well read and very well uh, and, and really knew his ancient history and his and and his and what he was doing was he was he was giving us a version of something that that's been in our mythology and in our in our uh, uh, our folklore, it is it's so much a part of of the human all over the world of the human race that 
the chances are, and I think personally, that that somewhere in the simultane, not too far away, is this world that Shaver was trying to, to, to tell us was real. And somewhere in that simultane, it, if the simultane exists, and I think it does, then there it is. Um, now, that's, that's uh, by the way, we're going to, one of the reasons why I'm doing this show is that we're going to re-release Beyond Lemuria um, early next year, uh, by spring. We're going to re-release Beyond Lemuria with a new cover and a new booklet, and, and we have already have a booklet in there on uh, on the uh, Mount Shasta part of it. Now we're going to have a booklet on the, the Shaver mystery uh, in there with the, with Beyond the Mirror along with a new cover. And uh, so what we just what I've just been discussing will be covered in that uh, in that booklet uh, in the new booklet for Beyond the Mirror to be coming up again. So those of you who haven't seen Beyond the Myria, uh watch for it. And those of you who have, you want to get this uh, this new booklet. Anyway, um, we got uh, somebody on here. Uh, who am I talking with? Who am I speaking with? Hello, hello. Uh, uh, do we have it? Is somebody on the line? Or do we lose them? Well, somebody's trying to call in. They'll call in. They'll probably call in again. Um, anyway. Uh, what I want to do uh, at this point, and 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 that is we we have a we we can run over our uh, we can run over our, our limit. What I want to do is I want to get a discussion going here on on uh, these other dimensions in relation to magic, and um, and I'd like to mention. Uh, uh, have I got somebody on on? Who am, I, who am I talking with? What, Michael? Is that you, Frederick Cyrus? Is that you? Talk to me. Have them call back. Oh, yeah, look, look, call back. I can't hear you. I can't hear you at all, so give me a call back, will you? Okay. Uh, what we want to do here is, is have a, a discussion about this parallel world theory and its relation to magic and these these other dimensions, which very, very much go into, into magic. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Kenneth Grant, uh, he, um, he called this... this Magical dimension that we that we uh, get into in in our temple work as the mauve zone, and one of the reasons why he calls it the mauve zone is that it is kind of it's kind of electric blue and kind of purplish, and and uh, as you go into it, and we this is one of the things we do in 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 magical in magical work is we actually we actually get into this uh, this nearby other dimension, and uh, so consequently, uh, the, the concept, I think the concept of the simultane very definitely relates to that. Now, let me, um, uh, let me um, get into the scientific aspect of this a little bit, um, and uh, I'm sitting here looking at a book by Michio Kaku called Parallel Worlds, Journey Through Creation. Higher Dimensions and the Future of the Cosmos, okay? Now, Michu Kaku is, as you probably know, uh, probably the, the most popular uh, writer. He's a, he's, a, uh, he's a physicist, by the way. Uh, he's probably the most popular writer on, on uh, the mysteries, the modern mysteries of quantum physics. And... Um, and there's things like string theory and and uh, M theory and whatever, uh, and 
So he one of his books is uh, is on parallel worlds, and so I um, I um, want to read you his analogy here. This is um, on page uh, one twelve in parallel worlds. Okay. But perhaps the strangest of these anomalies is the possibility of parallel universes and gateways connecting them. If we recall the metaphor introduced by Shakespeare that all the world is a stage, then general relativity admits the possibility of trapdoors. But instead of leading to the basement, we find that the trapdoors lead to parallel stages. Like the original, Imagine a stage of life consisting of, multi, of multi-story stages, one on top of the next. On each stage, the actors read their lines and wander about the set, thinking that their stage is the only one, oblivious to the possibilities of alternate realities. However, if one day they accidentally fall into, the trap, into a trapdoor, they find themselves thrust into an entirely new stage, with new laws and new rules and a new script. Now, that's that's from Dr. Kaku. And um, that's, let's see, that book is, um, this book's published by Doubleday, and this is, uh, you know, this is uh, the latest uh, uh, the latest idea, you know, that, uh, um, uh, was it, uh, I, I did a poem about, M theory and Paul. Uh, and uh, Zandria, do you got a copy of the Green Ray up there? Uh, I think you do, right there. Yeah, yeah. Give me a copy of the Green Ray. Thanks, thanks, son. Uh, now, I did this poem, <laughs> and and in uh, and, and, and it's in the Green Ray. Um, actually, I didn't do the poem. A counterpart of mine in another dimension. There was another dimension. Uh, called Alt Magic years ago. I don't know whether it's still part of the simultaneous. Well, it, it finally, it finally deteriorated. But but in that other dimension, I was a character called Dryad, and I had this uh, this this Ode to M theory. And it sung to the tune, "If I only had a brain," from the Wizard of Oz. And somebody, uh, bless his heart, did a thing on YouTube where he where he's got me singing this. And he has my, uh, he has, puts the scarecrow's face on mine and one thing or another. It's really cute. It's a folk Runyon singing, uh, uh, singing If I Only Had a Brain. Uh, so you can look it up on, on YouTube. Um, there it goes. But the, but the ODM theory goes this way. I'd put Einstein in suspension and I'd find a new dimension if I only had a brain. Now, of course, brain is B-R-A-N-E and short for membrane. I'd zoom in upon a fractal and bring back a pterodactyl if I only had a brain. Like Tarzan, I'd be swinging where the gravitrons are stringing if I only had a brain. Through a wormhole, I'd be diving. In the past, I'd be arriving if I only had a brain. Oh, equations won't seem hazy. And Kabbalah won't seem crazy when I finally get a brain. And that, of course, is a humorous um, take on what is very, very, very possibly the actual truth of our of our universe. And and 
I'm reminded of the of the old hippie joke, you know. Um, there's the ocean, of course, is many miles deep and has many layers of of different animal forms that live in it, you know, and you get down to the bottom and, and, and there are creatures down there that can't possibly exist in the higher levels and they and they're they're dark down there and they have their own illumination and all this so the ocean is is, is really really a, a whole world in itself. And uh these these two hippies are out on Santa Monica Pier and they're both stoned. And and, and if one of them is looking out at the at Pacific and he says Man, that's a lot of water out there. And his friend says, yeah, and that's only the top. And that's essentially what we're, what we're looking at here. So in, in the, the magical temple operations, uh, we can actually, we can, and you can tell. You can tell when you're, when you, when you're doing a crystal ball operation, you can tell. You can tell when, when, um, when that ball starts to get the aura around it, and you get this feeling, this tingly feeling, and and you know, you know, hey, there's some. We're not we're not in the same place anymore. We're in the same place, but but somehow or other, this is not the same world. You have that feeling, and that feeling, quite frankly, okay, I got somebody. Who's who's who am I talking with? Mike. Uh, hey, Chris. Oh, hey, is this Chris? Chris. Yes, it is. Yeah, well, well, get speak closer to the phone because I'm I'm uh, I'm okay. So Here, is this, uh, be- is this better? Yeah, right. Uh, now, uh, what we were you've been following everything we've been talking about? Have you followed everything we've been talking about? Uh, yeah, I've been having some technical difficulties here and there, but I've been listening other than that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're gonna have to keep that phone right close to your mouth. Um, okay. So you followed. You followed everything so far, right? Uh, yeah, I've been listening. Okay, so uh, uh, now uh, this is Chris. This is Chris Cooley, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, now Chris Cooley is going to be with us next week, uh, and he's going to do a uh, do his uh, presentations on uh, on uh, love magic, and uh, this is going to be quite. Uh, you know, uh, fascinating, and, and he's done this before. It, it, uh, I've got to say that Chris is 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 a uh, a brother of mine in a in a in another another order, a kind of a kind of a stodgy old traditional order, and and uh, but it's you know it's it's one of the oldest and the best, and and uh, so Chris is going to talk next week. He's going to uh, he's going to talk about. Uh, the, the magic of love and 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 and, uh, and possibly we could call it sex magic, but let's call it you know let's call it love magic. You may believe it on a little higher plane. And and uh, Chris, what do you think about uh, this interdimensional? Give, give us some thoughts about your thoughts about this interdimensional idea. Well, I haven't read any Richard Shaver yet myself, but I can tell you that like uh, even just the world that he creates within the page you could consider another dimension and you're experiencing it as you read through it too. So clearly he must have experienced it in order to write it. You know, so the, even if it was, you know, in his head, it could still be like, you know, another dimension that he's experiencing, you know, whether through like an avatar of a person that's actually there, you know, or you could even say that, you know, there's a higher dimensional something controlling us 
that we, you know, are all we're plugged into this, we experience, you know, this dimension in this way. But then once this ride is over, you know, we have a, you know, pre-existing and ongoing higher dimensional self that experienced all that and grew from it and everything, but is not limited to that. Almost yeah, like the, the a... Yeah, chased yeah, most of it. Uh, a lot of what he got was very, um, <clears throat> was very, uh, what we would call lower. Uh, he, he was, he was um, uh, being tormented. He was, he was being tormented by by um, these uh, these demonic narrow uh, creatures from the, from something that was very much a modern, very very science modern super science version of a medieval hell. So you, we could say this was a lower thing, but then, then uh, when he got into uh, when he got into his fantasies, uh, there are sections, there are parts in in uh, in the Red Dwarf stories that we're reading tonight that are really are at a higher at a higher level. Uh, so I think he 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 he, uh, he was ranging in 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 different uh, different dimensions. Um, are you? Do you ever have any experiences like this yourself? Well, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, like, like I was saying, I think that you know, the the world of fiction, you know, whether it's based on you know true-ish experiences or something you you think you made up, you know, I do, you know, kind of on a certain level consider that living in another dimension while you're living in the dimension of that story, you know, but. I think that's part of what magic is too, and I think that's how it ties in. Is you know, you like you said, you consider him a great writer, you know, despite you know what who he might have been as a person and all this controversy surrounding that. You know, like just the fact that he was a good writer, you know, is a kind of magic itself. And he was living in another dimension in order to tap into that, you know, world to create it in order for us to be able to share the experience by reading his books. You know, so as an as an artist of various sorts, you know, like yeah, I I definitely live in other dimensions at certain times that I'm experiencing and recording somehow in order to share that experience. You know, and it may not be exactly the same as the experience I felt being that intermediary between this world and that world, but it's a representation of what that experience was like, and then you get to share that when you, you know, watch it or listen to it or read it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're 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 right there that I think there are levels of this and there and there are levels of intensity in this in this you can you can be in another dimension in a very um a very um um shall we say uh very reflective kind of a way. Uh a sort of almost like an observer uh where you're not really involved. Um, but then on 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 other, on other occasions you can actually be involved to the point where like like in a in a very intense dream where you're where you you are involved you're emotionally involved every other way uh but then there's then there's like lucid dreaming where where you you are in control of the dream but the dream is still uh still has has its own validity uh and then there's the uh, there's the reverie kind of thing where you, where you, you sort of, it's only you're you're making it up in a way, but you're but you're making it up uh, as as you're in, as you're intuitively receiving it, and that's another level. Uh, one thing that we we have kind of a conflict a lot of times with the military way of doing this 
um, the occult way of doing it. The military way of doing it is you uh, have a target, you go for the target, wherever that may be uh, on the map, and the first impressions you get, that's it, and you don't go any further because uh, as far as the military is concerned, if you go further, you're laying, your your imagination is interpreting. They call that a, an analytical overlay, and they, they, they won't... Uh, they just want a they they want a, a first impression, and and that's it. And and so we have to ask ourselves a question, you know. And they get some good stuff. I mean, they they uh, that's that's effective. Uh, but uh, the question is, uh, how much are we are we coloring this ourselves, and how much are we actually uh, intuiting? I. I I like to think that that it's a combination, you know, that that, that that there's that the more intense it is, the more real it is. As far as is, is, is that's my measure is if it, if the the intensity and the and the uh, the power of it, uh, it gives you more reality. If it's it's sort of a you know sort of something that you're kind of putting together, you know that. that uh, would you agree with that? Well. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I wouldn't necessarily agree because I think sometimes the more subtle experience can be, you know, more powerful because of its subtlety as well. You know, like yeah, that would, you know, be almost like saying, oh well, the only good movies are the ones with big explosions and you know, fast action and all this stuff. You know, yeah. when there's like a whole wide array of films, like there's a whole wide array of experience, and sometimes like, you know, some of the most profound things will be like. A little more hidden or a little more subtle, you know, and it takes more concentration just to, you know, tune into that frequency to be able to interpret it, you know. But then when no, you no, do, no, I, you're rewarded by it. I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you, and I, I think I don't think I expressed myself uh, very clearly on that one. What I meant was, I don't mean a lot of action. That that's not it. What I mean is is intensity. Is is because you can have a a subtle uh, you can have a subtle and a um, um, and a very a very nuanced um, uh, experience uh, and with with subtlety uh, and, and without a lot of blood and thunder uh, and still have intensity. In other words, an, an, a reality about it. In other words, what I'm saying is is the uh, there, as you know, in dreams, uh, there are dreams that that, that uh, it's just like what well, dreams of when you when you when you go to a strange place in a dream, and nothing necessarily is happening. You're just in a strange place, but you have this very intense feeling in the dream that this is real. This is super real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I understand what you're saying, and I and I agree. Um, I, I totally agree with you. But at the same time, okay, like say like like intensity, you know, like like when you say something's intense, you know, you're re- you know like re- almost referring to like like tension itself, you know, like say you're uh, well, okay watching a film or even listening to a piece of music, and there's a part where you'd say it's intense, right? Like and it like maybe it's like making your blood pump more, and like it's. You know, like you, like you're feeling it, and it's a powerful experience. But then, sometimes maybe that intensity is like um, it'll go in a wave. You know, like like a roller coaster wouldn't be interesting if it was just 
constant loops. You know, it's going to yeah, have well, like well, valleys in order to One of the reasons why I think uh, Shaver uh, believed that James Branch Campbell was was writing true was writing true stories was because of all of the amount of the the amount of research and work and and and, uh, and calculation that Campbell put into his stories. His stories themselves were not uh, uh, were rather rather drawl and 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 there was you know there wasn't a lot of sensational action in them. Uh, they were they were very very sophisticated and very drawl, but but it, they were they were magnificently crafted. Cavill wrote on on you know on on three levels, and and uh, literature in order to qualify as literature you only have to write on two levels, but but either he wrote on three and sometimes four levels, and and uh, I think that 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 so impressed Shaver that Shaver thought you know he believed it was real and that, that this was that Cavill wasn't really writing this, he was just recording it. And uh, I, I personally think Cavill was was a combination of both. I think Cavill was, was recording it because obviously the work he put into it, structuring it and, and uh, structuring the stories in, in, in such a way that... that, that uh, so, uh, I, but well, as a writer I, I myself, like you know, I, I know that ongoing, I write, yeah. I rewrite, and I rewrite, and if I'm going to get something right, I... I, I'll uh, I'll just you know I'll work it over, and and so consequently I I looked at some of my own even though I it, it, it may be fantasy writing or whatever I looked at it and I think oh gosh I, I I think I put that together you know but then on the other hand uh, maybe I was supposed to put it together that way I don't know you know and, uh, and yet my friend Lynn Carter he he would just. Lie down. He would sit down in his easy chair, get an idea for his characters, idea for his book, set the characters up, sit down, close his eyes, and run the whole thing like a movie. And then, and then he'd get up and he'd go to the typewriter, he'd screw in white paper, have a little bit of correction fluid maybe, and put carbon in there and, and crank out a manuscript and send it in and get it published. That was amazing. I, I, I couldn't, I could never do anything like that. What do you think of that? Well, you know, I think that uh, this is like an ongoing question with a lot of artists, uh, you know, where like, especially some of the more profound ones where, where it's so deep, you know, and you can see read so much into it, where it's, you know, like, it's could they have really been conscious of that? Or is that like something, you know, higher, something more divine, like working through them? And they are just getting out of the way. They're just getting their ego out of the way and letting, yeah. you know, the letting the art come out, you know, which, which, I think when, like you say, when it's intense, you know, it's, it's when it's like hitting the truth, you know, when it's like ringing that bell and you can feel it, you know. And then like, and I think a lot of times that just when like, you know, uh, you know, who we consider the artist or whatever, who we consider the writer just gets out of the way and lets the message be told, you know, like why are we there writing to be said, you know. Well, let's, let's get a little supernatural here for a minute. Uh I had an experience, and I quoted, I mentioned this to um, to a couple of my friends uh, when we were getting ready for the show. I had an experience years ago that um, I think I think was walking into another dimension somehow, and then walking back out of it. Uh, back in 1970, 
1972, I think it was, my one of my grandparents died, and I went back to uh, back to for the funeral, and it was in Georgia, and I went back to this little little village in 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 Georgia, uh, and where I grew up as a kid, and there you know there there was Grandma lying there in, in the coffin, you know, and whatever, and I needed to get out of the house, and uh, so I walked from from our old house uh, in Georgia, and I came back, you know, I came from California and then back to Georgia, and I walked just like I had so many times as a kid. I walked out of the little neighborhood theater, and this was 1972, and I figured I'd just see a movie, you know, whatever movie was there, and they were playing a film called The Execution of Private Slovak, and I was hardly anybody in the theater to watch this thing. It was in black and white, and as I recall, it was with Martin Sheen or, or young Martin Sheen or whatever. But it was the execution of Private Slovak, and I and I sat through this thing and didn't particularly like it. But it was you know it was a it was a black and white film and it was and it was you know, it was well done. And I and then went home and then you know left a couple of days later and flew back to California. And almost 20 years later, this film shows up. TV Guide says they're making the execution of Private Slovak in Canada as a TV movie, and no mention whatsoever of this of this film ever being made before. And and I looked at this, and 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 my heavens, what's going on here? Have they dusted this thing off and colorized it, and they're going to try to present it as a uh, that they're actually producing this thing and all this an article in TV Guide and all of that, and um, so I, I asked some friends of mine in the movie industry about it, and they said, oh, no, 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 it, it was made up in Canada, and I know you knew people that were working on it and everything else. And I, and I thought, what is going on here? And, and, you know, so I thought, my first thought was, just like Shaver, you know, like this is a big conspiracy, and they're pulling something here, and they're trying to get this old film that didn't go back during the early days of the Vietnam War. This thing didn't go at all. Now they're trying to re-release it. Now they've colorized it. Now they got this big phony campaign going on. they got people that are even saying that they that they made it. Uh-uh. See, this is, I don't think this is what happened at all. Because I went back to Georgia. I hadn't been there since I was nine years old. I was back in that old house. I walked down to that old theater that I'd gone to as a kid. I saw this film. I know that that was the film I saw. But that film was not made until 20 years later. Now, what do you think of that? Well, when did you see the film? I saw it in 1972. And the film wasn't made, and it wasn't made until 20 years later. Well, according to Wikipedia, it was made, it it was, it was made for television, but it aired in 1974. But um, I don't know. It's Yeah, I mean, it's possible they would have made a film print of it also. Like, I know, like, uh, Ronald Reagan's last film, The Killers, which was a remake of a film that was made yeah. 20 years prior, um, you know, was made for television, but they ended up releasing it theatrically first, you know, and didn't show it on television until much later. But uh, I don't know. It's based well, maybe, on a book that was... Maybe, maybe, then maybe I'm right. Maybe it was a, 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 a maybe they did uh, maybe they did really really pull a, a real fast one because TV Guide 
made no mention whatsoever of, the, of it being done years ago. None whatsoever. In fact, they claimed that, they, that the whole thing was shot in Canada. And I even, I even talked to people who said they worked on it in the, in the, in the Canadian one, in the Canadian TV version. That, you know, I mean, I, I just, I wonder, you know, and, and, and but maybe if it's, if it, it said, it said it came out in 74, huh? Uh-huh. That means I could have seen also, it in 70. It's also based on a book that came out in 1954, so you never know, maybe there was an entirely different adaptation of it that you ended up seeing, you know, and then no one ever heard it of might, it later. You know? Yeah, it might be, it might be. It was really strange, though, because, as I said, I tried at the time, I tried to find out. Now maybe you know that's the case. Maybe maybe the you know uh, that's it. But uh, that that was that was a strange one, uh, to me anyway. And uh, and so I just you know I kept trying to find out. And it wasn't on Wikipedia back back when it, when it came when it came out in, in the nineties. Because is there any well, indication that they were we're writing history every day? You know, I mean, there's a, you know all of our collective knowledge. You know, which we're sharing. You know, I mean, talk, we, you and I were talking earlier. You know, like talk about you know an alternate dimension or a parallel world. You know, that's essentially what the internet is. You know, and it's a reflection of our world, but it's still you know its own universe in a lot of respects too. You know, and it's it's writing our history. Like I don't, I've never seen this film, so I have no you know personal experience to say anything about it. But the internet, you know, says this at this time. And then who knows what else it'll say tomorrow. Maybe they'll talk, oh, yeah, there were some theatrical prints that were released, you know, in certain parts of the country or et cetera, you know. But, like, well, then history will be rewritten again, you know. Let me give you another one. Uh, two years before Avatar came out, there was a animated film that came, that was released on television, and uh, an animated film that was almost almost the same script. Uh, as Avatar, and as soon as Avatar, you know, came out, you couldn't find it. You couldn't find any reference to it. You, it just disappeared, and and there was no Are you no reference. About Atlantis, what? Atlantis, the Lost World. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that. I looked at, because it, that's uh, almost essentially the same script as well. And well, uh, I mean, I think Atlantis. yeah, yeah, it wasn't Atlantis. It was it, there was another film, but it was almost the same as Avatar. They had the big tree, you know, and they. And 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 uh, the uh, the American uh, uh, um, uh, Marine or whatever and and uh, and uh, it was it was so similar that, that, that I was just I was just wondering why what Dickens why why isn't there any mention of this or, and nobody ever ever uh, ever mentioned it uh, I suppose you know but, but you know I don't know as I said. Well, but that's the thing, you know, I mean, there's there's theories that there's only so many stories, too, that we just retell, yeah. you know, and, like, is it that they're really ripping off other authors or other versions of it, or are they just telling an aspect of the human experience and expressing, you know, and it, it you know. But speaking like of, that, of, however, you, you, you were saying, though, that, that, that the Internet is, is its own dimension, and it's very, it's very, very true, it is. In fact, um, um I think that H.G. Wells predicted something like the internet. He said that uh, back back in uh, before World War One, H.G. Wells was predicting that we would have uh, we would have this communication that everybody would be able to communicate uh, fully with each other uh, in a network of some sort. 
And uh, the so the network itself has taken on a a kind of a dimension. It, it's become a it's become its own dimension. Well, you know, I you you know, that, and tying this into magic, you know, I think that the internet is a reflection of a higher dimension where we all are are already connected. You know, like I like to think of it as the internet. You know, and like the more we disconnect from all outer sensation, period, the more you are connected to all things and experience. Anyway, and I do feel like in a lot of ways we do share information and experience already through that unified experience, you know. And then the Internet is like our lower dimensional, you know, like version of that same thing, you know. And like whichever, because the Internet has so many different things to so many different people and whatever you're tuned into at that time is, you know, affecting your experience in this dimension. But it all exists all at the same time and it's all there. You know, it's the same yeah. thing when you go inside of you, too. Like, you were talking about um, Shiva, you know, maybe hearing from these underworld creatures or these demons, you know, like uh, Carl Jung talked about the, those demons just being aspects of our inner psychology, you know, and these yeah. are all reflections of ourself and our own issues and everything that we work out in the form of these actual creatures, you know, and it's a way of, you know, discussing with ourself, you know, with our subconsciousness, like, and working through, you know, problems that we have created, you know, like, uh, you know, video games are another really good uh, example of this, you know, where it's, this is, uh, you know, an, another dimension, literally, you know, especially like older video games where it goes into 2D, you know, you're experiencing this second dimension world, you know, and like you are connected because your movements connect the character on the film, you know, or on the screen, you know, I mean, and like, uh, you know, say like, uh, you know, you're Mario and you jump into a pit, you know, you're going to like jump and like feel, you know, to it. It might be subtle, you know, but depending on how into the game you are, it can be very intense as well. You know, like you could like actually feel your heart jump, you know, and your whole body react, you know. You are connected with that character in so many ways, you know. And even that is acting in a higher dimension where we are that character. We are the avatar in the third dimension, and there's something much higher in that dimension that we can hardly even perceive, you know, hardly even comprehend, you know, in this wall connected in this lower dimension, but it affects us too. Just like if you're playing Mario and someone, like, taps you on the shoulder and, like, you know, you might get, you know, fall into a pit because of that, because someone distracted you and you're pulled out of that dimension for a moment into this other dimension. And you, know, you could say that happens on higher dimensions as well. And I don't mean, you know, his his underworld could be what I refer to as higher dimensions. I just mean extra dimensional, you know, something outside of, you know, this three-dimensional sphere that we, you know, experience the majority of the time while we're in this world. You know, that there yeah. could be other aspects of that in other dimensions that are still connected but, with but each part of One of the things, though, that we realize in magic, and we find it out all the time, yeah, especially in, in working together, like we say, uh, we're working with people uh, around around a, an Almadel altar, and, and we have several people uh, channeling a particular angel uh, or a particular spirit. And uh, what they get is not the same. They they uh, so each each individual person perceives these dimensions differently because these dimensions are very definitely connected with themselves. In other words, the connection is is so uh, we're not all uh, 
you know, like, like Bruce is one of them. I'm not trying to, to indicate that Shaver's um, perception is is true for everybody. No, it was true for Shaver, uh, and and uh, had a validity for him. But other people would see it differently, and and other people would experience it differently. And that, of course, is one of the mysteries I think of magic. You know, is that uh, yes, we can perceive. Uh, um, higher and lower uh, dimensions, but we will perceive them in our own way and in our in our own context. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that uh, we should bear in mind that you know he also created that world as well. You know, and that's that is what his books are a representation of, and that's why we can even talk about it. That's why we can even share any of his experiences, whether they really he thought he really experienced them or not. He, you know, did create the experience of being able to read it too, you know, and I think that that's, yeah. you know, part of the magic too, and part of you know what is, you know, that's why we're talking about it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what, uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up, uh, and uh, uh, what I want you to do is to give us uh, talk a little bit about your website, and, and so people can. Uh, so people can go there and uh, and kind of get familiar with what you're doing, and uh, then we'll come back next week and and, and you can uh, you can uh, you can give us your uh, wonderful lecture on uh, on uh, the magic of of uh, love and whatever. Uh, so what? Uh, give us your website information and all that. Well, uh, I don't currently have a presence really for my uh, magical writing. Um, but there's things you can look up online, but we can talk more about that next week. Uh, however, I also have a musical project that is, you know, discusses a lot of this, these things too, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, art can say things that we, you can't necessarily discuss, you know, like the doubt, the true doubt cannot be spoken of kind of thing, you know, but you can share an experience through art and that's part of, sharing that knowledge that we've gained while in this dimension too, you know. But um you know, yeah. I have I've a band called uh Mephisto. Well you did uh, wait, wait, you, whoa, 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 whoa. You did this you did this presentation at Basant. Uh you did it sometime back at Basant. Where does where is that uh I think that's on the internet somewhere, isn't it? Yes. There, uh, I did I did a presentation called uh, Sex Magic Beyond Good and Evil and um there it was like three there's three segments one of which made it on the YouTube, the other two of which are on a hard drive that is currently down that I may revive at some point. But um, I'm working on a book and working on putting together another presentation at some point in the near future too. But um, it's just one of many projects going, you know, like I have this musical project called Mephisto that uh, I work on as well. We just did our first final record release and we're going to start playing some shows soon too. And I have a couple of film projects myself they're on the back burner. I have a production company called Neptune Films. If anyone wants to look that up, but uh, and Hyperfire Records is dot uh, com. It's a music website. If anyone would like to check that out, but um, yeah, we we will uh, discuss all the stuff next week and how it ties in with Kabbalah and magic okay. and this, all this stuff. Okay, sounds good. We'll see you uh, next week, uh, same uh, same uh, time and uh, well, eight o'clock. And um, and um, that'll be uh, same place and Thursday night, and we're looking forward to it. And meanwhile, good magic.